Hello, and welcome to Kinetic Conversations. I'm Jim Sparrow. Our guest today is Kim Sagami, Fort Wayne Ballet's newly appointed resident master teacher. Kim joined New York's Joffrey Ballet at the invitation of Robert Joffrey in 1983 after completing an apprenticeship at American Ballet Theater. In her own words, over the 14 years dancing with the company, Robert Joffrey became a major influence on Miss Sagami's artistic values. She witnessed his meticulous eye in reviving historic ballets, intuition for spotting choreographic talent, enthusiasm for teaching, and appreciation for all genres of dance. Gerald Arpino, co-founder of the company, was a mentor in traits such as perseverance, determination, and grit. Kim's teaching credits include Joffrey Academy, Hubbard Street Dance Chicago, Chicago High School of the Arts, Interlochen Summer Arts, Fort Wayne Ballet Summer Intensive, Chicago Repertory Ballet, Ballet 5-8, Thodos Dance Chicago, Chicago Ballet Arts, Joffrey II, Joffrey San Antonio Workshop, and Ballet Mistress for Joffrey Ballet's Nutcracker Children's Cast. She has also been sought after master teaching master classes in Sydney, Australia, Tokyo, Newport News, Los Angeles, and New York. As well as master teacher and dancer, she's a trained architect, and after finishing her dancing career, practiced that discipline while continuing to teach dance. Kim, welcome to Fort Wayne Ballet's Kinetic Conversations. Thank you. Good to be here. As we mentioned, you've had a varied and exciting career. Tell us how you got started as a dancer. Well, my mother, herself wanting to dance as a child, didn't have that opportunities growing up. I had a brother and sister. So all three of us, she brought to dance, music, and art. Oh, and voice. So she carted us all to these dance lessons and voice lessons and music lessons and art. And um, whichever one we liked, we picked. So I, I loved dance. I was the only one that loved dance. So I continued to dance. My brother and sister, my sister loved music and my brother loved music. So I was the only one that kept on dancing. So I trained in Los Angeles until I was in high school. And my dance teacher said that I needed to go to New York. That was the only place to go. So right after high school, I convinced my parents that that was the only place I could go if I were to dance. And they believed me. <laughs> <laughs> I went to New York. I trained there at the Joffrey School on scholarship and auditioned for ABT2. And at that time, when you train with ABT2, you're given two years to train, and then you're let go, and you, you're considered ready to find a job or ready to dance professionally. I didn't get a job right away. I think a lot of dancers can uh, identify with that. But luckily, I happened to be in New York just taking dance classes, and Mr. Joffrey had an opening. Uh, someone got injured in his company, and uh, I got a phone call and said, come to company class went to company class, and I was offered a contract and started with the Joffrey. So it was a lucky break. I was in the right place at the right time, which um, I'm eternally grateful because it offered so many experiences that I couldn't have dreamed of. Well, following up on that, as both we heard about in, in sort of your resume, but also what you just said, the Joffrey Ballet had a strong impact on you as a dancer. What are some of the takeaways from that experience that you didn't see while you were going through it, but in retrospect, looking back, you see now? Um, I think the biggest influence was the modern or the contemporary and more theater pieces or just different types of repertoire. So my teacher was a Balanchine trained dancer. So I was looking at New York City Ballet or the classics like Swan Lake. What little girl doesn't want to do Swan Lake or Nutcracker? So those are my ideals, but at the Joffrey, they didn't do any of that. They did Arpino works, they did Ashton works, they did works of the 20th century. And what I learned 
is I learned history because we did works that were done in the past from Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo, and then works that were modern, Paul Taylor, Mark Morris, Martha Clark. It, it was just a varied repertory that Mr. Joffrey thought his motto was, you do class as simple and as clean as you can, no affectations. And then it's the choreographer that asks you to do style or mm -hmm. to impose a, a certain look that he wanted. But he wanted us to be a clean slate hmm. so that the artist can come in and paint us however he preferred. And so we were wearing bare feet, we were wearing point shoes, we were wearing ballet shoes, we were wearing boots, we were wearing tap shoes. Whatever the choreographer wanted, we were the clay that he molded or she molded. So kind of following on that a little bit, as a teacher, you are imparting foundational elements and as you described, sort of that palette of basics. But you're also continuing to learn as everyone does. How does that process continue to make you a better teacher? Well, the process of, I think, appreciating all different types of dance forms, which walking into my first day at the Joffrey, I only appreciated ballet and ballet in its most classical form. But being at the Joffrey, I learned to appreciate ballet and modern and theater, like no dancing at all. And to pass it on along to your students is to just try to create an environment of an open mind that their mind can be open to any which way of moving as long as it is safe. But I think from a balanced standpoint now, I only appreciate it now that I'm not dancing, is the importance of having other things in your life, like a husband. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that getting married kind of opened up a different way of seeing things or uh, having another person to relay their views on things that you had never thought of in that way or to be a support system. Um, it's just an entirely different thing, and it adds balance. The other physical thing I do is yoga, which also addresses like a mental balance, and that really stimulates me as well. I think for a person to find balance, they need to look outside their box and see that other things in life happen and to appreciate all of the other things in life. So following up on the ideas that you've talked about in terms of being broader in mind and thinking about things in a more broad way, when you look at teaching, ballet, dance has a long tradition and a history of passing things on. Where do you see that in terms of the reverence for the past and the knowledge of the past and the present in the field? How do you marry those two as you're teaching? Uh, yeah, you started in the classroom with always coming into the studio with an open mind. I mean, I teach that to my students, you know, be open to suggestions. They might not always work for you, but at least try them. And I have to admit, I wasn't open when I was a student. I thought things were one way. But as I started to see different types of movement and how it's relatable to people, it, it validated that just thinking in a different way makes you more relatable. So I take, for instance, uh, I don't know, Paul Taylor. I never danced barefoot before until I, I was in a Paul Taylor piece. And uh, from Paul Taylor, I learned the appreciation of the thighs and how you need to use that. Uh, at ballet, try to emphasize, don't use your thighs. But in Paul Taylor, you have to use your thighs to go into the floor. And that really informed my ballet because it created a different dimension to use the thighs in ballet 
in a way that would facilitate movement. So I think a student, as long as their mind is open, they can learn different ways and cross-reference and make their whole being just more dimensional. When you talk about that openness as a student, obviously being a priority is something you feel is important. When you deal with young dancers, maybe very early on in their training, what do you think are the most important elements there? Is it that openness or is it something else? They, they already come open uh, unless, you know, something at home is happening. But when they're very young, five years old, three years old, seven years old, they come into the room very open. And you, you, <laughs> that's when you try to form some kind of order, even though there's not going to be order in the room, you funnel that creativity into places where they can bring it into their body. It's later on in the teen years, it's harder for them to be open when they become more self-conscious. You're also a trained architect. The two fields or the two disciplines intersect. I'm sure you have a perspective on that. I'm curious, what has that interdisciplinary perspective brought to you as a teacher and as an artist and as a person? Mm-hmm. Well, my tendency is very mathematical, and I've learned that everyone takes away something different. So there are a lot of people who study architecture that come from a dance background, I found out in school. Hmm. But um, we all have a different perspective on it. So my perspective is from the structure. I was always fascinated with geometry. And so I look as a skeleton as that's our structure Mm -hmm. and how to best align the structure to bring the maximum effect. So to me, that's most important. And then when I was touring with the Joffrey, that's what opened my eyes to architecture because the first time I went to Vienna, I saw the buildings and I saw the churches and I had never seen churches that way before. In America, they're they're dry in comparison to Europe. And then I just started looking more and more at buildings as we went to Paris and Italy. And that's what taught me the importance of place, how the components of a design space can create something special. And that's what I'm trying to bring into dance, that the space you create, maybe with your body or with a group of bodies, can create something special. Everything evolves and is on some type of spectrum. Where do you see the field of dance now and where do you hope it goes? Yeah, and this is from the perspective of architecture too. So when I was in architecture school, we used the computer a lot and the camera. It was all technology-based. And so when I was working as an architect, I worked on the computer, which amounted to like 10 hours a day. And I saw how much our industry and future generations are dependent on technology. So I always bring it back to dance, which is more like an analog-based practice. We use our bodies. We don't use technology. And that doesn't transfer to anything else. So I'd like to see the future of dance retain that body-centered practice rather than being dependent on technology. We can use technology as tools, but in the end, it's our connection to our body. Kim, we're thrilled to have you in Fort Wayne as our new resident master teacher. You've been with the company off and on in terms of some teaching. We talked about the summer intensive. What are you looking forward to being around the company and seeing where it's going now? Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I think first off, I have to say that Karen Gribbins-Brown has really developed a unique place here in Fort Wayne. The first time I came here, I was floored by the skill level here. 
And every time I come back, it's just a joy to teach her students because she has trained them so well because they're so open. And that's what I enjoy. It's very hard to find that as I go around teaching. So first off, I have to say thank you for inviting me here, but I'm just excited. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just open to the experience and whatever I can offer, I'm here. Kim, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. That's our show brought to you by the Fort Wayne Ballet and with the support of the University of St. Francis. Our guest today was Kim Sagami. My co-producers are Madison Kafaro and John Dawkins. And to learn more about the ballet and hear our podcast, please visit us at fortwayneballet.org. Until next time, I'm Jim Sparrow, and thanks for listening to Kinetic Conversations.